Our scripture reading for the sermon today is from Genesis chapter 35. Genesis 35, verses 1 to the end of the chapter, verse 29. Give your attention to the reading of God's word. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. You no longer shall be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. 
the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And Isaac breathed his last, and he died, and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you send out your light and your truth? Would you let them lead us? Let them bring us into your presence where we find you to be our exceeding joy. We pray these things expectantly in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I'm not <clears throat> terribly sure they still do this, but as I graduated from high school, uh, they, uh, <clears throat> they issued and awarded senior superlatives. Remember those? Some of you remember those. Do they still do that? Yeah, yeah, I, think, I thought so. Well, <clears throat> the kinds of superlatives, some of them I think have endured over the years, but if you had been... Uh, among my classmates asked to choose among ourselves what are the things noteworthy and note uh, that marked out these individuals. Some of the choices were these. Most likely to succeed, right? Most likely to succeed based on what I'm not too sure, but most likely to succeed based on a high school track record. Most school spirit was one. Most athletic I guess those are continued. Uh, best dressed, you know, that was one of them. Um, but as those notations were listed, as those achievements of sorts were, were assembled, I remember looking at the list, asking myself a question and only myself, out of all these things, what would I want to be said of me? What would, what would I want to be true of me? And that was the first thought I had. The second thought I had was, well, it's too late to do anything about it. As a senior, we're, we're deciding <laughs> uh, based on what's happened. But the one that I landed on and thought about went to a friend of mine, by the way, <laughs> one of my best friends. And it was most dependable. That was something that the class had decided was worthy and worthwhile to, to note. Most dependable. I've thought about that a lot since, and dependability and faithfulness and reliability are, are good things that we recognize and when we see it in others, and, and we might long to be like that. Reliable, faithful, dependable. Not like Jacob. You know, Jacob has been quite a, quite a story, hasn't it? Someone asked me recently, are we still in Jacob? Uh, it's been since February. <laughs> We've been watching this, the twists and turns of the story of Jacob. And today we see something 
that is worth noting as Jacob returns home, we see someone who is moving toward faithfulness. Finally, is part of what we want to see and say, finally moving toward faithfulness. But the reason we want to say finally is because there's something in each of us, in all of us, that, that sees faithfulness and says, that's a good thing. We want friends that are reliable. We want, when we purchase something, we want it to last. <laughs> but, but when it comes to being faithful to God, there's something that we, that we long for in that. And that's true of you today. You know how I know that? You're here. You're here. Most of you, again, you're here. You're here because of who he is and a longing of your heart to know more of him and to move toward that goodness, to move toward what he shows you of himself. And yet we know the, all too well the failings of our own hearts and lives, don't we? Maybe that's why David prayed this, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Bring together all the fractured parts of my life in order that I might be faithful to you. That was the longing of David. It's, it's my longing, it, and it is likely yours. If it is yours, come with me. <laughs> Let's look and see what, what, it, what we find in the life of Jacob, who is moving, who's not always been faithful. He's not always been dependable. But here we see, we see Jacob, that guy, moving from faith to fidelity. After 20 years of God working in Jacob's life, we come to chapter 35. It reads like a patchwork of sorts. Did you pick that up as we were going? There is a travel narrative there involved. There's a narrative. But parts of this chapter read like diary entries in a family history. Just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But the narrative and the, and the, and the diary entries all do weave together to show us two things. Uh, two themes that I would call for our purposes today two essential greedy ingredients on the pathway to fidelity. What are the things that we inhabit, that we take up, the postures of our hearts and our lives that together move us from faith to faithful, faithfulness? And there are two. The first one is this. It's a single loyalty to God. That's what Jacob is after, and it begins to take shape. Most of our time I'm going to devote to this. It's this, a single loyalty. Jacob, like me, like you, has, has had a divided loyalty. It's, it's been scattered. It's been here and there. It's been lukewarm. It's been hot. It's been cold. It's pretty familiar. That loyalty, that's Jacob. But what we see here is he sees now and he's moving toward a single loyalty. It's to be loyal to, to the one who made him. It's a loyalty to God, a single loyalty. His obedience, by the way, in this, as the story turns from chapter 34 into this one, his obedience that has been fluctuating is now prompted. It's prompted by the events. You see, Jacob 
if you remember from last week, or if you want to look back later in chapter 30, at the end of chapter 33, Jacob pinched his tit, not at Bethel, where he had encountered God when he promised to return to Bethel, but he's pitched his tent instead at Shechem. And you see in chapter 34 what trouble that created. He not only pitched a tent, he built an altar as if this is now home. Jacob was calling Shechem home instead of the home that was his, that he had pledged himself to return to. And so he gets a wake-up call. He's been drifting far too long, maybe like some of us, drifting far too long when God breaks in. Surprise. That's how this happens. God breaks in. God breaks into the moment. He breaks into the confusion. He breaks into the crisis. And he speaks and he says, Jacob, arise. This is not your home. Arise, go up to Bethel and live there. That is your home. That is the place that had been marked out and set apart where God would meet with his people. He would dwell with them and they would dwell with him. And so we see Jacob doing something that this is the first time he's done it. Apparently, this is the first time Jacob now leads his family. <laughs> he gathers his family and those who are with him around. He, he, they pull up, they gather around the tent or on the hillside. We don't know, but, but he gathers there and he declares something to them. Verse 2. Three preparatory actions. He says, folks, friends, family, we're going. We are going, and here's what it's required. The first is this. Put away the gods that are among you. Apparently, we read, if you look back at chapter 34, Simeon and Levi went through and plundered the city of Shechem, the town. So they went with with swords and, and destroyed people and things, but they took things with them, apparently. They took what they found. It was uh, these foreign gods, and we don't know exactly what that was. It could have been little items, then, then carvings and pottery that served as these good luck charms or foreign gods that people would carry with them and devote themselves to and bow down to. This is Israel we're talking about. This is the people of God who now have foreign gods in their hands and in their midst. Uh, it talks about earrings. Earrings were often fashioned as figurines of those gods and goddesses. Little, little people dangling from, from the ears. Perhaps that's what we have in view here when he says, Take away, take those foreign gods, your earrings, and get rid of them. You may remember Rachel sitting on her father Laban's household gods on the, on, on, on the saddle that she sat on and could not get up. But apparently Rachel's not the only one, either then or since, that has looked to something besides the God who made us. The God of the Bible, the God who goes by the who will go by the name Yahweh. He is the one that our lives are to orient around. You know, it's possible and maybe even natural for us to worship many gods at the same time. 
You know, when, you, when, I, when I say it like that or you hear it like that, you think, oh, come on. No, it's, we don't do, well, wait a minute. Think about this. How many things do you look to for life and joy besides the one who made you? That could be career. It can be prosperity. It could be a bank account. It could be a retirement fund. It could be your family. What are the things? Who are the people that we look to for life in addition to? And as soon as we add something to that, God plus, we've also we've lost the distinctive and we've lost the significance that our life is found in him and him alone. And what that makes me and makes us is we are idolaters. We, we look to other things besides Yahweh, besides the one, the covenant-making God who comes to us in the, in the face of Christ and, and comes to us and said, here is life, I am life. I have come that you might have life and you might have life abundant. And so there are foreign gods that, like Israel, we need to put away. But it's going beneath the surface. It's one thing to bury an earring in a, in a carved image under a tree. It's not merely doing that because this always moves deeper into our lives. It's not only getting rid of the things that have become a substitute. It's, it's, being, it's taking up a sorrow that accompanies that, a sorrow for sin, not just the consequences of sin. You know, it's one thing to be caught, your hand in the cookie jar or speeding, or, it's, or be exposed. It's one thing to be exposed, and we don't like that. We don't like to be caught. And there are consequences that we endure. And for most of us, our sorrow is that there are consequences to our choices and behavior. But what the scriptures are always after is not just put away your gods, but let's talk about what's behind the fact that you had gods to begin with. Because it's not only sorrow for sin, it's sorrow over idolatrous motives and not just a change of behavior that, that God is after. We, we're, we're after that when we confess our sins. And we're after that here as we look at what Jacob is telling his family, put away your gods. And we find a God who is full of mercy. In Judges, later on, you might read in Judges 10, they put away foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And, and God became impatient over the misery of Israel. <laughs> Did you get that? He didn't get impatient with Israel. He got impatient with their misery. And because of the misery that these idols create in our lives, we have a God that's moving toward us and saying, open your hands, let me see what's in there. Like a parent to a child. Open your hands, let me see what it is. And when we do that, we find a God who is full of mercy and who comes to us and says, Let's, let me take that from you. Let me take that, because that will destroy you. That's a good God that we come to when we put away our foreign gods. And then we're told that we need to purify ourselves. This sordid affair around Dinah that, that we read about last week and heard about is part of it. But there's, there's an impurity that has marked their lives. And 
whether it's the bloodshed over Shechem and the, and the blood still dripping from the swords, or just the fact that, <clears throat> that like we, they are a broken people. And the words are, not only put away your gods, but purify yourselves. And I want to say, how? How can I purify myself? I might put away a God and bury it under the ground. I don't know how to purify myself. The psalmist that we heard earlier talks about the fact that we need clean hands and a pure heart, right? But how do we do that? We're going to come back to that. But that is a preparatory action that we can come back to in a moment. We're to put away gods. We're to purify ourselves. We are to, they are to change their garments. It may be that the garments that they're to change were part of the plunder from Shechem. They may be wearing nicer clothes today because they've been through Shechem. Remember, these are people that have traveled. They don't have a home. They don't have a marketplace. They don't have a credit card. (laughs) But Shechem has been plundered, and now there are boots that are better than the ones that were worn out. There are are clothes that that protect me from the elements, and actually they look kind of nice. And God says to his people, change your garments. Those are not yours. I did not give those to you. That is not what you need. And what you're using, plundered from Shechem, to cover yourselves, to cover your shame, is inadequate. I will clothe you. Change your garments. Put away your gods, purify your motives, and change your garments. Those are the preparatory actions Jacob has rallied his family and those with him around now. And then there's a decisive moment, verse 3, when he looks at them and he, and he gets their attention and says, let us then now arise and go to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. That day of distress probably is referring back to when he first began to flee from his brother, Esau. Remember that? Esau, revenge, and he's fleeing from Esau. But God has protected him. And then he says these words that should strike a note with us, that should jump off the page, and has been with me wherever I have gone. Jacob, you see, has has looked back. He's... He looked in the rearview mirror, so to speak, to to review this 20-year history and his vagabond life and his running from Bethel and stopping short. And he says, God has been with me the whole time. He is protecting me when I didn't even know it. Do you know anything about that? Have you looked over your in your rearview mirror to just see that that God has been with you, that he has provided, protected. That doesn't mean that he has sheltered you from, from hardship or disappointment or even tragedy. But even in tragedy, he is there. He is per- God has been with me wherever I have gone, Jacob says. So how did he get here? How did he get to this point? What was the wake-up call? What was the turning point? You know what it was? It looks like it was the crisis. I mean, look at what has just happened in chapter 34. This is, those are dark moments in the life of the people. 
if you look back at chapter 34 and the bloodshed, uh, not, a, not a good chapter in the life of Israel. You might say it took a crisis in life to bring him back to God. You might say that because that's, that's true in some of your lives or mine. That a crisis brings me back to God in some way. What is it? Whether it's the desperation and confusion of my life and yours or trouble or tragedy. In this case, it was the sordid incident of Dinah's rape, the slaughter of the Shechemites by his own sons. That could have been the end of the story. You remember, they're surrounded by people now who would be out for revenge upon this traveling band of people with Jacob. They were outnumbered. They were surrounded. But surprisingly, there were no attempts to extract reprisals. The enemies melt away. And then in verse 5, we're told why. Because of God's protection. A holy fear fell on the inhabitants of that land. God was protecting them then. The rearview mirror, God has been protecting us, Jacob can say. It's God's intervention. It's not the crisis that brings Jacob back. The reason I can say that or would say that is plenty of people go through a crisis and never turn to God. Never come home, never return. Many go through horrendous experiences and are unchanged. Maybe a little thicker skin maybe a little more bitter, cynical, but not changed in the way Jacob is changed. What was it that changed Jacob? What was it that, that captured his imagination and said, people gather here, we're responding now to God who has been with us and we're gonna follow his lead and we're gonna be faithful to the one who has been faithful to us. What changed Jacob was the gracious initiative of God. That's always the case. That's what changes you. That's what changes me. What changes us is the gracious initiative God who comes into our lives and says, here I am. I'm right here. I've been here the whole time. And I'm, I'm graciously coming to you to turn your face toward me because this is where life is found. This is where hope is found. This is where joy is found. You're not protected from, from, from harm necessarily, always. There will be hard things that happen, but look at me, he says. Eyes right here. Let me see you see me. You see, on the surface it was a crisis, but behind the scenes it was God's intervention. It was God speaking, and that's actually where faith begins. Do you know that? Faith begins with listening to God. Jacob is now listening. God has his attention. He says, Jacob, here I am. That's where faith begins. That's also where faith grows as he continues to listen. That's my story, and I'm guessing it's some of yours, that we grow in our faith. We grow toward faithfulness as we continue to listen, as we listen to the one who is always speaking to us. 
when we, when we turn out other noises and listen to the one who is always speaking to us. That's how faith grows. That's how loyalty grows. A single loyalty. God chastens us for our sin, but he never casts us off. He has chastened Jason, but he's Jacob, but he's never cast him off. He continues graciously and sometimes severely to work for our growth. Jim Elliott was a missionary, died a martyr's death. It's a fascinating story that I commend to you. But one of the things Jim Elliott said before his death was this, and about his ministry, about his life that he gave, was this. It takes the whole of your life to give the whole of your life to God. It takes the whole of your life to give the whole of your life to God. What he's talking about there is faithfulness is something that develops over time. Be encouraged by that, church, my friends, that your faith can grow into faithfulness. But it may take the whole of your life as long as it is, years-wise, to give all of your life to the one to whom it belongs. One of the best definitions of, of following Christ is giving as much as I've, I know of myself to as much as I know of him. And that's what we see Jacob doing. And we're invited to join him in that. To give as much of ourselves as we know to as much of him as we know. That's our marching orders. A single loyalty, and I've already been talking about it, but the second feature, the second aspect is a deepening trust in God's promises. A loyalty to God's person, a trust in God's promises. Verses 11 and 12 are, are an echo, aren't they? When, when we hear God look to Jacob and said, I am the God, I am the God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. I will give you land. From nations will come to you, kings will come for you. That's an echo, not only of Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply, but of the promise that he made to Abraham and then to Isaac. And now it's come home to Jacob and he says, And I'm changing your name because you're stepping into this. You're stepping into this now. It is yours. It is yours. And he's trusting God's promise that I will be your God. And from you, nations will come. And from you, kings will come. There's a baton pass going on, a generational baton pass. By the end of this chapter, Jacob has lost his father, Isaac, his mother, his dearest wife. And the generational pass has begun from Jacob then to who? Verses 22 to 26, that, that bunch called his sons. You know, it's, it just reads like a, a family registry. It's listing the names. We've seen these names before. We're going to see them again. But, but at the end, near the end of this chapter, Jacob's sons are listed because it is a covenant community that this promise is about. It's always about sons and, and daughters and a, and a covenant community. It's an assembly of nations, it's called in verse 11. Out of you will, become a, will come an assembly of nations. And you know what? You can translate that, a church of nations. 
out of you, Jacob, and your sons will come a church of nations. And I want to look at that group and say, is that the group, really? I mean, Simeon and Levi, their swords are still dripping with blood. We've, we've read in this little diary entry that Reuben goes in and sleeps with his father's concubine. Uh, Judah looks to his sister and, and the whole group sell their youngest brother into slavery. Take note, the church, the church of nations that starts here, that includes this group, the church is made up of damaged people. Is that new news? <laughs> the church, the church, this one, that one, all of us, we're made up of damaged people. Out of the wreckage, out of the ruins are a damaged people that are deeply flawed, deeply flawed, who have foreign gods tucked away who have idols, who have impure hearts and dirty hands. That's the church. But out of that church comes something. We read in verse 18 that Rachel died, a sad and tragic little note that is significant. She died in childbirth. And, and the son that was born, before she died, she named. She named and translated her name in Hebrew. In, English, in our English, means son of my affliction. She looked at the one whose birth had led to and caused her death and called him son of my affliction. And you can just hear the, the pain and the, and the remorse that, that marked her life and death now in these moments. And yet Jacob takes this son of my affliction and says, no, that's not your name. You will be called Benjamin, son of my right hand, my favored one. Rather than son of affliction, it's son of my, my right hand, my, a favored son. That's what the right hand was, a favored son. Because Jacob in that moment as he was burying not only his father and mother and now his wife, he was taking hold and said, the promises of God are sure. I'm convinced that the God who has made these promises is trustworthy. You hear him moving from faith to faithfulness to fidelity as he sees that God is trustworthy and he's trusting his promises so Benjamin lives, and out of Benjamin comes a tribe, and out of the tribe of Benjamin comes the first judge who would deliver and save Israel from the Moabites, Ehud, the first judge. The first king, Saul, was from the tribe of Benjamin, Queen Esther, and Ehud, and Saul and Esther were deliverers of sorts, all pointing to another deliverer who would not come from the, son, from the tribe of Benjamin, 
but he would come from the tribe of Judah. From the tribe of Judah comes the true son who is the surety of all of God's promises, whose loyalty to his father is what establishes the father's loyalty to his people. The apostle Paul said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. The son of God from the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God who takes away sin. And we, and we read it earlier from 1 John 3. And here's how we deal with the fact that we can't deal with our own impure hearts. Is that everyone who hopes in him, the Lamb of God from the tribe of Judah, everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We purify our hearts by hoping in him, by holding on to him, by taking hold of him by faith. And if you are his, if you have come to him and taken hold of him by faith, he has given you that heart that not only wants to want the will of God and to be more faithful, but the heart that is pure because it is Christ's finished work that is now applied to your impure heart and mine. You know, um, I said about those senior superlatives, which one would I want? Reliability, dependability, and then and I said, but it's too late to change, you know, my my record because we're graduating and I can't be someone that I haven't been. But friends, it's never too late to grow in faithfulness. It may take the whole of your life to give the whole of your life to the one to whom it belongs. Oh, by the way. <laughs> it may take the whole of your life, but we grow in faithfulness when we gaze at the one who is faithful to us. That's how it happens. Christ, the Lamb of God from the tribe of Judah, was faithful to you, faithful to us. It's never too late to move toward fidelity because it's like falling in love. And we can fall in love again. And we fall in love with the one who loves us. We look to the one in faith who is faithful to us. Jacob seems to have learned that. And he takes his family with him to Bethel, to the house of God. And we know that that's Jesus Christ. And so we come to the house of God, to Jesus Christ. In, it is in him united to him by faith, that we are clothed in his righteousness. Jacob seems to have learned that. Have you? We belong to one who is good, who is always protecting us. When we look over our shoulders, we can see the ways, and that means that as we look ahead, that is true as well. You belong to one who is good, and your future, and your present, and your past are all 
his. Let's worship the living God. Let's move toward the one who is full of grace and undeserved mercy for us. Pray with me. Father, we would ask that you would help us to see with the eyes of faith your tender mercies, your faithful love, your steadfastness, your beauty, your glory, and that you would not leave us unchanged, that you would awaken us, that you would stir us, that we, like Jacob, would arise and go to the throne of grace where we find help in our time of need, where we find love and beauty and goodness and glory in the face of Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.